our scripture for this morning. And of course, the scripture is always the center of our worship. Whether our prayers or, or songs, you certainly uh, notice that the songs were, were very scriptural in their basis. Um, the, the scripture is the center of our worship. And so we turn now to Psalm 103. It's a rather familiar psalm because we often read part of it as part of the communion service, uh, uh, the Holy Communion service. Uh, but I want to especially focus on the first verse of that psalm, which, which speaks about praising the holy name of the Lord. I'll tell you something personal. Uh, I once was wrestling, not very long ago, I was wrestling with this idea. Why does the Bible tell us to praise the name of the Lord? What's a name? Why doesn't it just say, praise the Lord, praise God? Why does it frequently say, praise the name of the Lord? And I got to reflecting upon it so much that I literally sat down and wrote a sermon. I I didn't have a request to preach, but I thought, well, I might get one. And here it's happening right now. Um, And uh, so we're going to have this first verse as our text, but we're going to notice how the rest of the psalm fleshes out what it means to praise the name of the Lord. So what you're about to hear is God's word. Let us listen with attentiveness and respond with obedience. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems my life from the pit and crowns me with love and compassion. He satisfies my desires with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, So great is his love for those who reverence him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who reverence him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, 
you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What do you suppose the psalmist means when he says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all my inmost being, praise his holy name. What's in a name? A name is just a bunch of letters, isn't it? Written on a piece of paper or shining on the wall. Uh, Shakespeare asked that question, didn't he? And he answered it. He said, a rose, by any other name, would smell just as sweet. As though what you call it doesn't matter at all. Whether you call it a rose or an essor, that would be roses spelled backwards. (laughs) It still has this marvelous character about it, doesn't it? Um, We happen to be sort of favorites of watching Andy of Mayberry. Maybe it's because uh, that's where we were young, and maybe uh, some of you do. Well, uh, Andy Griffith, you know, uh, is sort of a poet, and he has written parts of Shakespeare's poetry. And you know how he translates this, this sentence that Shakespeare has arose by any other name would smell just as sweet. He says, you can change the name of a rose, but you can't do nothing about the smell. At least that was his hillbilly interpretation. He says the same thing, doesn't it? It really doesn't matter what you call it. Most words, at least, uh, don't reflect uh, with discredit on anything. It still is the same. A name is just a thought reference. A word just stands for something that's more important. For instance, if I say truck, it's just five letters, isn't it? T-R-U-C-K. But immediately in your mind, you see a useful vehicle to carry equipment around. How important that our uh, trucks are for our our businesses, especially our construction people. What would we do without trucks? But the word truck is just five letters. The reality is much more than the word that we use to describe it. Or we think of house, H-O-U-S-E. Just five letters. But immediately you think of your own home, don't you? And the warmth of the circle uh, that that home represents to you. In other words, A word stands for something that is much more important than those few letters. Well, that's the beginning of the way we should understand the Bible when it says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Because the word name, the name of the Lord stands for really everything God is. And you know, we don't have language adequate to to really describe what God is like. And so the psalmist felt that same, well, many of the other writers of the scripture felt that, that, same, that same lack of ability to really tell us who God is. 
And so they say, blessed be the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord stands then for everything God is. And he is so much greater than the idea that the word name suggests to any of us. And that's why we have it frequently. Psalm 148, verse 13. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. It's the only, uh, only name that is uh, exalted above all others. Or Psalm 8, verse 1. O oh Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name in all the earth. And if you haven't been impressed with the power and greatness of God by looking at nature, well, I pray that your eyes will be open to see that. In Psalm 66, verses 1 and 2, the psalmist says, Shout for joy to the Lord. Magnify his name. Sing to the glory of his name. Uh, there's an interesting account in the Bible uh, where uh, Manoah, you know, he was the father of Samson, wanted to know what God's name was. You see, God revealed himself to us in the person of the angel of the Lord. Many times in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord is really God, present, usually the, what, what theologians call the pre-incarnational presence of the second person of the Trinity, that is God the Son as the angel of the Lord. And when the angel of the Lord comes to Manoah, Manoah and tells him that he's going to have uh, some offspring who will be a leader in, among the people of Israel, uh, Manoah says, what is your name? And remember what the response was? Don't ask for my name, seeing it is wonderful. Now, I know we have a song that uh, says his name is wonderful, but the word wonderful in the Bible is not a name. It, it's simply a word that means full of wonder. It means beyond human comprehension. So the angel of the Lord says to, to Manoah, if I really told you my name, you wouldn't be able to handle it because it's incomprehensible. It's inexhaustible. It's indestructible. Blessed be his name. Well, I hope I can help you understand something of uh, what it means to magnify the name of the Lord when we, when we recognize that a name constitutes three major things. You know we'd have three points, so here they are, okay? A name means identity, identity doesn't it? Uh, we have a, at Palos Heights, we, we were all issued name tags so we would know who we were. I know actually it's so that visitors come and they don't feel like strangers. Of course, maybe they do because they don't have a, a little name on their chest. But uh, we have these name tags, okay? Uh, it's a, a means of identity, okay? That, that'll be our first point. Uh, the name of the Lord is his supreme identity. Secondly, we use the word name as reputation. Hmm? We say so-and-so made a name for herself or made a name for himself, okay? Well, God made a name for himself. We're going to look at his reputation. It's reflected all over this psalm. 
And then finally, a name suggests intimacy. If you really know someone, and that someone is precious to you, just the mention of the name cause you to well up with joy and pride. A name means intimacy. So, so those are our three points. First of all, then, when the Bible says, blessed be the name of the Lord, it is talking about the specific identity of our God. When I was in the seminary, seminary it's been a long time ago by now, um, we had a course called The Doctrine of God. And uh, in, the, in this massive theological book we had to study, uh, it spoke of God with a variety of, well, efforts to identify him. So we learned, for instance, that God is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere present. Omni means all or everywhere present. And God is omniscient. That means he knows everything. And God is omnipotent. That means he is all potent. He's all powerful. And so as I remember, there were about 16 of these, and we had to learn them, of course. And we had to learn a proof text from the Bible that served as a basis for that. Hmm. Attempt to describe God. For instance, omnipresent. Well, we had to learn Jeremiah 23, verse 24. Can, I, can any man hide himself from the Lord? Do I, do I not fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? So he's everywhere. He fills heaven and earth. And so it went on. Uh, it sort of impressed me as being rather uh, academic because there never seemed to be a call to praise. We were just trying to describe the indescribable to fathom the unfathomable. <laughs> uh, we can't describe God, and I, I don't think uh, seminaries, at least where I was and where I went to Free University afterward, after serving the Warren Park Church, <laughs> uh, they didn't teach the doctrine of God that way. Uh, Berkauer, who was my professor at the Free University, um, just simply trace through the Bible what the Bible said about God. And it seemed a, a, a much more productive way. Because when the Bible speaks of God in any fashion, it's a call to praise. It's not a call to analyze or describe. It's a call to praise. And it speaks of the honor of God and the power of God and the glory of God, all identified with his name. And every time, virtually, I don't know of, uh, of, uh, of an exception, when the Bible speaks in this fashion of God, the greatness of his name, it's always talking about him in relationship to, to someone or some group. In relationship to the angels, for instance. Or in relationship to his people. Or in his relationship to those who will reject his message. God is all, it's always speaking of God in relationship. Let me give you some examples. These are not names for God, but, but they are descriptive titles referred to God. For instance, in the Old Testament, we have the word Elohim. That's a Hebrew word. You don't have to remember it. But it's translated in our scripture, God of hosts, Lord of hosts. And the hosts, of course, are 
the angelic choirs of heaven and the redeemed of the Lord in heaven. And so in relationship to the God, to the redeemed and to the angelic forces, God is more transcendent than they are. He's a Lord of hosts, Elohim, supreme in the heavens. Another word that uh, I hear rather every once in a while in a chorus, especially uh, when young people are singing these choruses, is El Shaddai. Well, El Shaddai is usually translated God Almighty. God Almighty. He is God Almighty. Um, we, we still spend part of the year in California. I still teach part-time at Westminster Seminary in, in Escondido, California, where, incidentally, uh, your pastor Greg's father was my colleague at Westminster, and he is now the director of... Uh, the prison ministries, right? Can't remember the name of it right now. He's doing a very, very fine work uh, among prisoners uh, in prisons and calling churches to remember those who are in prison. Well, when we're in California, we have a, a several more Christian channels, it seems, that we do when we're in uh, Tinley Park in the summer and early fall. And uh, my favorite program is, is not available on Comcast in, in Tinley Park. But it is available in California. And it's a program, it's a channel that has a regular program uh, conducted by a rabbi, Jewish rabbi. But he's a rabbi who's come to know Jesus. He's a Christian rabbi, and he comes on this program with all his rabbinical garb, his little hat, and his shawl, you know. And he tells people about Jesus from the Old Testament. Well, one time he was talking about the names used in the Bible to describe God. And, and one of these names was El Shaddai. And this is what he said it really means in Hebrew, and he must know. That's what his training was. He says, El Shaddai means that God is more than enough. <laughs> God Almighty is more than enough. He is more than enough love, more than enough grace, more than enough mercy, more than enough compassion. He's more than enough to save those who call upon him in faith. Uh, let me speak to the uh, children, uh, especially. I mean, if you're 12 years of age or younger, okay? I know sermons seem, seem kind of long, don't they, kids? Huh? When you get to be a teenager, of course, you'll be all over that. Of course, you'll be able to listen to everything and be able to repeat it again. But now you're a little young. Well, uh, kids, we're talking about Descriptive titles for God. And one of these is El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. Now, what does that mean? What do you suppose it means that God is Almighty? Does it mean He can do anything? <laughs> He's so powerful, He can do anything. Huh? Well, no. That isn't what it means. God can't do everything. As a matter of fact, 
there are some things you can do that God can't do. The Bible says that God cannot lie. You can. Hope you don't. Oh, don't do that. But God cannot lie. Listen to what the scripture says. Psalm 89, verse 35. I have sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie. And that's not just one verse. Listen to 1 Samuel 15, 29. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind. And if you think that's only Old Testament, here's one from the New. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. It is impossible for God to lie. God always speaks the truth. And there are other things he can't do. He can't change. Uh, he can't deny himself. That is, he can't say one thing one day and change his mind the next day. No. He is constant. He is faithful. And to mention only one more, he can't put up with evil. It either has to be paid for or punished. And that's why he sent his son to bear the punishment against the evil of all who trust in him. And if you don't trust in him, you have to pay the penalty yourself. You see, God can't do anything that's contrary to his own holy nature. And we should rejoice in that. He will do nothing that violates his own perfections. There are other uh, descriptive titles, and we can make a great study of, of that in itself, but we have to move on from this first point, uh, that the name of the Lord means his specific identity. Uh, some of you know the name Adonai, which means the Lord. That's often translated the Lord. It means he's our master, our owner. It's the one that the Heidelberg Catechism is talking about when it says that we belong to him. We are his possession. He literally owns us. He's got the title deed to our lives. And he always wants the best for his property. And he wants his property, that's us, to take care of ourselves and others because they belong to him. And to mention only one more, well, I'm going to close the, the, the sermon with, with a name uh, that, that we all was, must remember yet. But Jehovah, or Yahweh, it's really a two-syllable word in Hebrew, but we've learned to know it uh, as Jehovah in the King James Version. It's pretty much changed to Yahweh now. It's the covenant name for God. It's a, the name of God that reminds us that he keeps his promises never goes back on his word, and you can trust him. And if he says that those who believe in me will not be condemned, you can count on it. If he says that they who confess me before men, then will I confess before my Father in heaven? Write it down. Depend on it. Well, that's enough then for the identity, the supreme identity of our God. Blessed be his name. So the name embraces who he is. Never besmirch the name of the Lord. Never profane the name of the Lord. 
Never take the name of the Lord in vain, but honor that name because it tells us who he is. Secondly, and a little shorter, I'm sure, um, when the Bible says, blessed be the name of the Lord, it speaks about his merited reputation. We use that term often, don't we? I mentioned it earlier. Someone we know has made a name for himself, okay? Bill Gates made a name for himself, huh? Developed Microsoft, and we, what will we do without these uh, computer uh, programs, huh? Of Microsoft. One 30 years old, he was among the wealthiest in the whole country. I understand that he's made a pledge. He's going to give away half his fortune before he uh, makes 50, and that's pretty good. Uh, Oprah Winfrey made a name for herself. Read in the Wall Street Journal not long ago, she made $140 million last year. (laughs) Okay, she made a name for herself. Governor Blagojevich made a name for himself. Not a very nice name. He's in prison where he belongs. He's a felon, but he made a name for himself. The Bible says a good name, a good reputation, is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver and gold. Proverbs 22, verse 1. As a matter of fact, the psalmist, David, who wrote this psalm, often speaks of God risking his reputation with him. Uh, He says, uh, for instance, my enemies are after me, Lord, and I've put my trust in you, so if you don't rescue me, your reputation is at stake. Um, In Psalm 109, verse 21, O sovereign Lord, deal well with me for your namesake. To, for your reputation's sake, evil men have spoken against me. Now your reputation is at stake, Lord. Really, the Bible <laughs> is a record of God's reputation. The Bible is a record of what God has done to save a lost world. And in the process, he's made quite a reputation for himself. Um, we have a song, don't we, the children sing, he has done great things, right? And the last line is, bless his holy name. Because he's done so many great things, he's got quite a reputation. He created all things, all things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small, all things sweet and wonderful, the Lord God made them all. I know I added a word that I couldn't remember in there somewhere. But okay, it's God's divine reputation. Um, The Nicene Creed says that we believe that God is the creator of all things visible and invisible. I think it's remarkable, isn't it? That most of the untold millennia of the existence of the universe, all people seemed to know was things they could see and touch, the visible things. 
And it's only the last 150 years that we've discovered electricity and radio waves, huh? And microwave waves that we cook our food out so easily. Didn't know about that until 150 years ago. That's just a little blip on the whole history. But God made it from the beginning with that potential. Enough. Now all of you have cell phones in your purse or in your belt, like I do. I shut it off in time this time. Uh, it's embarrassing to be preaching and have that thing ring. So I've learned that lesson. But think of it. All of the, this potential was always out there. God put it all there. We had, we were supposed to find it. It's take, taken these tens of thousands of years for human beings to discover um, these unseen forces of God. What a reputation our, our God has made. Of course, we know that when he made this wonderful world, things went bad. We call it the fall, sin. But he stepped right in and made another reputation, a reputation for being the savior of those who trust him. And so we have from Genesis 3.15, the first hint that someone born of a woman, the seed of a woman, would crush the head of the serpent and destroy the works of darkness. And God started doing something about the sin problem. And he did that when, even when things went so bad that he had to destroy the world with a flood and start over with one family. But he kept on in his purpose with Abraham and said that Abraham's descendant would be a blessing to all the nations. And of course, Galatians tells us that's Jesus who is the blessing to all nations. And so in the plan of redemption, God has also made a saving reputation for himself. The uh, psalmist in Psalm 103 even implies that God has enhanced his reputation in David's own life. Listen to verses 3 and 4. I think they are, Nick, excuse me, 4 and 5. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. He always he's describing uh, the attitude God has to his fallen world. He's going to uplift it uh, in David's own personal life. He found God's presence uh, upholding him and making a reputation in David's own life. And David, of course, is a faint model of a greater son of David to come. He is a shadowy blueprint of the kingdom of his greater son a thousand years later named Jesus, whose kingdom will have no end, in whom God has made his saving reputation. So, not only does the name of the Lord suggest God's supreme identity, it also reminds us of his divine reputation. Thirdly, and finally, the name of the Lord suggests a comforting intimacy. If you know the name of the Lord as your Redeemer and Savior, this is a comforting intimacy. Oh, I know there are many names, they're just identity, huh? 
a name tag of a clerk at the grocery store, register, Elizabeth, Mary, just identity, nothing more. Other people you know by reputation. You know a famous ball player, <laughs> Ernie Banks. <laughs> I think he just received an award <laughs> from the president. Uh, a real gentleman. Uh, the only shortstop, he was, I know he ended his career uh, in first base because he uh, slowed down a bit. The only shortstop to hit over 500 home runs. Because shortstop, you, you know, they're usually wiry and smaller and they're quicker. They got to hit those ground balls, you know. Ernie Banks, okay. Uh, I, we know him, not personally, but we know him by reputation. And there are others, of course, other politicians and other sports persons. We know something of their reputation. But those who are dearest to you, their very mention of the name suggests an intimacy, a precious intimacy. A spouse who greets you warmly when you come home after a hard day's work and gives you that warm embrace and says, John, Peter, Marianne, Deborah. Or a child coming out of the nursery after the service, running up to you and grabbing you by the thigh and saying, Daddy, Grandma. There's warmth in a title, in a name, when you have this precious intimacy. The psalmist knew something about that intimacy. Listen to verse 13. As a father, we sang about it earlier, didn't we? As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who reverence him. Intimacy. In verse 17, we read, from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who reverence him and his righteousness with their children's children. Here David is anticipating the intimacy that Jesus had with his heavenly father. We have it in John 17, verse 5 where Jesus prays, Father, glorify thou me with the glory that I had with thee before the world began. For us who believe, the name of Jesus is the name of divine intimacy. Oh, I know for some the name Jesus is just identity, or worse, a word for profanity. For others, they know a little bit about him, and so they know his reputation. Good man, great teacher, moral example. But for those who trust him as Savior, he's the great shepherd. He's the rock of all ages. 
He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, name above all names, beautiful Savior, wonderful Lord.